we didn't really know what was going on and we didn't really know <laughs> what he was being arrested for. Um, and we still don't. So that's kind of like the horrible twist to the story. And this is where um, it's left a lot of people advocating for him or wanting to speak up for him in sort of a weird gray zone because we're not really sure what to stand up for except his freedom. In August of 2022, Alexei Peretsev was arrested in Amsterdam for his connection in being a developer of Tornado Cash, which is a popular or was a popular Ethereum privacy protocol that was allegedly used by some nefarious entities, including North Korean hackers. As of the time of this video, Pertsev has yet to be charged with anything. He's just kind of being held. And his case kind of presents a very unique challenge for the crypto regulatory space and really does a chilling effect on open source development of just basic privacy protocols even. So I spoke to Eleanor Blanc, the organizer of the ETHDAM conference, which is dedicated to privacy in honor of the Pertsev case in order to kind of shed more light on this case and on the conference. So this is what she had to say. Hey everyone, uh, I have the fantastic pleasure of speaking with the one and only Eleanor Blanc. How's it going? I'm doing really well. Thank you for having me. Yeah, no problem. Always a pleasure. Uh, usually, is this your first time doing an actual like sh recorded show? Usually I just have you for the live shows uh, because yes. it's always a good time. But I did actually want to talk to you about something, you know, maybe a little bit more serious than just uh, crypto banter and NFTs and stuff like that, which I know you like. Um, so uh, you run ETH Dam, right? And so for those who don't weren't paying attention to that kind of clo that super closely, um, Amsterdam's kind of the hot spot for the whole uh, the un unwilling sort of hot spot for the whole uh privacy debate in regulations because uh alex Pertsev, the uh tornado cash developer was arrested in amsterdam if i remember correctly and that kind of it, it's kind of the big chilling effect the, the sort of first shot in the greater struggle with regulators and things like that over crypto specifically over the how much can you get away with if you're decentralized open source tech as opposed to running like a company that does these things and also on the you know right of privacy so uh do you want to just uh explain from your perspective a little bit the alex pertsev situation and um kind of give your thoughts on that yes first of all it was a terrible shock, I think, to a lot of people when this happened in August 2022. So it's been already quite a while, and we didn't think that it would take this long. But in August 2022, Alexey Pertsev, who is a core contributor developer of Tornado Cash, uh, was arrested in the Netherlands. And we didn't really know what was going on, and we didn't really know <laughs> what he was being arrested for. Um, and we still don't. So that's kind of like the horrible twist to the story. And this is where um, it's left a lot of people advocating for him or wanting to speak up for him in sort of a weird gray zone because we're not really sure what to stand up for except his freedom. What's very, un well, sorry, let's start with what's clear. Mm -hmm. <laughs> what's clear is that he's being held in Den Bosch 
in the south of the Netherlands, um, and that they've been giving him hearings every approximately every 90 days. I've attended the two that have occurred so far. Uh, the next one is planned on the 20th of April. And we can assume a lot of things, but it's really hard basically right now to say exactly what's going on because the charges have still not been made public. The mm -hmm. entity that's going after him is the FIAD, which is the entity that's you know, responsible for any money laundering uh, activities in the Netherlands. So we can assume that the charges involve money laundering, but they have not been public, which has really confused the whole community, basically, because in the beginning, I think our first call to action was to call for the freedom or of the freedom of a developer writing open source code. You know, that's mm -hmm. what I think was the first the first call, the, the first cry for a rally was to sort of support someone who's been writing open source code. But it seems like that was a flawed assumption, me included, uh, to think that that was the case. And actually, more and more, it's really all about money laundering and mm. if they can tie it to him. And that's where it gets really tricky, is that in the Netherlands, we have one of the most encompassing regulatory framework for money laundering. So it's not just only the fact of doing it, it's more being aware of it happening and facilitating it or enabling it. Hmm. So that's what's shaping up for Alex right now. Interesting. And so even though formal charges haven't been brought forth, that's, I guess, the suspicion, the pretext for the arrest as far as we're able to tell. Yes. Every time I hear the prosecution and bear in mind, it's in Dutch. My Dutch is far from being a courtroom level. But from Same with my able, English. Well, <laughs> I mean, obviously, these are you know legal proceedings. Keep in mind, this is not a court. This is not an actual trial. This is what is considered pre-trial. And everything, every time he's been, we've had these hearings, um, what was at stake was releasing him to house arrest. So it's not even, it's not about official charges. It's, the last two hearings were about, can we or can we not let him be home as we built this case against him? And they've decided every time that he was a flight risk and mm. that they wanted to keep him. Yeah, so it seems like the, the laundering charges or the laundering lack of charges, I should say, the, the suspicion, uh, it seems like for an open source developer that does not seem to apply now uh the so real quick for the viewers at home right the tornado cash is a smart contract on ethereum that basically allows funds to be mixed together and uh, sent with privacy from that and so if we all were super let me be super basic here uh, so he alexi wrote the yes. code or some of the yes. code or did he write all yeah. of the code or most of the code some of it some of it he's part of the core team he was an advocate for it he spoke at Def Connect. he was you know n not hiding away from anything but really advocating for privacy and for Tino cash latest developments and what could be done with it mm. um so yeah yeah so 
he was, was he considered like the head guy kind of or the most prominent developer or like a figurehead of the project I would say so. I've never met him in person myself, mm -hmm. uh, but I, when I look back in retrospect, uh, yes, he was someone who was speaking for Tornado Cash, and you could consider him one of the person, yeah, what did he call it, like figurehead? Figureheads, yeah. yeah. Figureheads, yes. Because obviously with the um, with decentralized kind of things, it's always a little bit different, but there is He wasn't usually... the CEO. <laughs> he wasn't, yes. you know... <laughs> It's not that way. It's more like, yes, he was one of the core contributors and, and yes, was advocating for it. Now, as far as the way Tornado Cash itself functions, so how, and here's, here's, I guess, where I'm trying to get at, like, this, to see if there's like more to the story than just he wrote code or kind of mm -hmm. see what they might be targeting. Um, was there any services involved that he might have had a hand in running or, does is the way this works you just write a smart contract and then just anyone chooses to execute it and it and it executes or do would you have to have like a a node or a specific software or something that runs it and uh, basically is it other than just writing the lines of code that would enable people to do it kind of like saying this is how you build a molotov cocktail for example just like that is there any way you could make a plausible case he was involved in the actual protocol like not just writing how it should work but actually running it i would argue not being his defense and not being mm -hmm. alex and only basing on what he said so far no he hasn't facilitated any of these mm -hmm. things what he did is enable the technology and be part of the team that wrote the smart contract what the prosecution keeps sort of brushing off if, is how it works They've been basing a lot of their case on an old case that happened in the Netherlands a few years ago where there was a centralized Bitcoin mixer where there was definitely a team of people running a Bitcoin mixer where they would literally, you know, do the trades and they ha they could pull on a switch or not if certain trades would go through or not. Um, and it was I, I don't know more details about the, the case, but I know that that was sort of was that was. There were there was definitely grounds there for malicious activities, and that was shut down, and you know that was over. The thing that they are completely disregarding in this case is the smart contract part of the nature of Tornado Cash, which was not part of this Bitcoin mixer. So they're kind of saying same, same, but different, different cryptocurrency. And mm. as the defense is trying to build its case, they're saying no, 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 not same, same. Yes, we're talking about cryptocurrencies. Yes, we're talking about mixers yes we're talking about privacy but the how is very very different and therefore alex is not responsible for what was going through tornado cash the prosecution argues the opposite and says that by talking about it promoting it that mm. tornado cash although it was a DAO, that it it did exist as an entity but it's very vague what we're describing as an entity and what can be considered responsible for for the actual money laundering that happened. It's really uncharted territory and it really feels like, and this again is my very biased opinion, but it feels, and I, I, I can only be a commentator in this case, right? I'm only a community organizer, a cryptocurrency advocate, and I see someone that's sitting in jail now for months on end without clear charges. I am very biased and I'm very, very subjective, but I see 
a very murky case where we're talking about very unchartered technologies and new products that are available for all and that are being confused and the legal structure, the current legacy fiat legal structure that we're in just doesn't fit, right? It's not, it doesn't fit. The, what they're trying to accuse them of happening is not exactly what has happened. But at the same time, they're not really interested in learning what they were actually creating and have developed. So it's the sort of Cash 22 and, and, and Alex is at the center of it all. And that's what I think mm. is. Yeah. Yeah. It's the kind of situation upsetting. we're in. Uh, what do you yeah. think? I mean, obviously, this is purely speculative, but do you how much of U.S. government influence do you think that this case has? Do you think this could have been a kind of Netherlands isolated case where they just decided, oh, someone tipped us off that there's some guy who's doing this involved in what they consider money, money laundering, go arrest him, or or just in case you want to? Or do you think it's more than that where it's pressure from you know the U.S. government saying these guys are these guys are involved in doing something that we really don't like. You, you need to help us out. Again, extremely speculative. Speculative, yes. Don't know. I don't know. Um, I can speculate that, and I can, no. What I can say is that Dutch law enforcement clearly has worked for years, decades with the U.S. government, and that mm-hmm. Dutch. Uh, uh, cybercrime works very closely with the United States uh, on many different cases. And this one, we don't know. We only know that OFAC laws were passed and mm-hmm. five days later or something like that. It was in the course of like the same week uh, that Alexi was arrested. Now, was it all coincidental? It seems awfully convenient. What I do know is that other Torinoda Cash, uh, you know, core, uh, core contributors are in the United States and are not bothered by the authorities. Mm. So is it different? Since then, the OFAC has actually come out with very pro Tornado Cash statements saying that actually Tornado Cash is love, no, well, not lovely, but I wouldn't go that far, but that actually, uh, considering all the chain analysis that can occur on Tornado Cash, that they can easily spot, you know, different hacker groups that are laundering mm-hmm. money, you know, trying to launder money through Tornado Cash. So it's very confusing to hear actually very positive mm-hmm. comments, statements coming out, posts, OFAC sanctions from the U.S. authorities, and at the same time, we haven't heard anything from the Dutch authorities. We're now on Alex's third hearing coming up on the 20th of April, and I'm not sure what to expect. The first two were very similar, were very lengthy, took several hours, even though this is supposed to be like a quick and dirty hearing. They have both lasted more than an hour and a half. It's really, really long. It's not a trial, but it really feels like one. And at the Mm -hmm. same time, it feels like they are discussing the case without discussing it. It's very confusing. And Alex is in the middle of all of this. And it just, I'm not sure what is going to happen. I'm not sure what's going to happen. Do I know what the influence of the United States are in this case? No. It's been very confusing. In the beginning, when he got arrested, there was a lot of FUD news that came out, you know, accusing him of being a KGB agent and, and stuff like that. And 
I would like to clear the record and, and say that if you work for an agency that has worked for uh, entities like the KGB, it doesn't make you a KGB agent. And it's just these really rapid shortcuts that were taken in the beginning that I think were purposely planted to make it even more murky. And it, and, and it made it even harder, I think, for the Dutch community to understand what was going on and and be able to stand up for him because as the charges are unclear it's hard to to know what we're standing up against right yeah of course um and for certain people that i've spoken to they don't want to speak out even the biggest privacy advocates and groups that you can imagine refuse to pronounce themselves as long as the charges are unclear mm -hmm. so it just it leaves everyone in limbo, really. Yeah. And, yeah. That seems it's, like a very um, that seems like a very challenging situation because, on the one hand, you have someone who is clearly targeted for some things. On the other hand, it's very risky to come out in full support of this individual without knowing everything, and is where I play statist advocate or whatever you want to call it here is we don't a hundred percent know at least i don't maybe other people do uh what exactly caused them to go after this guy and it could there could be some case where he was involved in something like that in which case they're they're kind of doing that or it could be a suspicion of something else and so obviously if a privacy organization says this guy like free you know free alexi or whatever then it turns out that there's something that they don't necessarily want to put their name behind that comes out that becomes complicated it's a it's kind of interesting sort of seeing the landscape of this whole thing because um, crypto has kind of existed for you know 14 years now it's like gonna be 15 years before you know it. it's been a been here for a long time and in the early days when i bought into the cypherpunk ethos of i kind of envisioned this is like almost like black market money like right away like this is the stuff that the, the people use with the, the government you know, where you, it, it this and it's been surprisingly placid these last like 15 years like the governments around the world for the most part have done almost nothing about the growth of these decentralized technologies up until basically the last couple of years and it i get sort of the feeling that every time there's something big that pops up like the silk road well they can't they can't let that stay up. So of course they take, take that down or like a specific mixer that people are using to launder things. And it seems like uh, tornado cash has been around for a few years. No one cared until there was some sort of evidence of North Korean, uh, I guess, agents using it. And in that case, it became a sort of a threat to the, the sanctions that the U S imposes where now all of a sudden, because of these sanctions and you people are evading sanctions you have to even if you can't stop it you have to make a show of force to say we have to stop this and it seems if i were to speculate because there's a lot of speculation here um, that with the arrest case they kind of don't know they kind of knew they had to do something and that's what they did is something or they thought they had to do something right they did something and now they're in this case where they did something, they made a show, they scared people, but now they're in a situation where they can't let this guy go or they can't charge him either. Because if they charge him, 
they have to think of what do you charge? And the implications for that might be, well, if you develop open source code, which can be used in such a way, then that is a crime. In which case, that has huge legal precedence implications. And they don't want to do that, I don't think, at least not at this point. And so, but then they, so I think what they're trying to do, if I were to speculate, is find an angle to at least uh, in a minor way charge Peretsev with something that doesn't cause, something that, that they can actually pin on him and they can't, they can't completely change, like rewrite the rules and scare open source developers across the world. They got to say, well, he did this one very specific thing. We're going to charge him, give him a couple years in prison or like a, a year of community service or whatever they end up doing just to say, you're a bad man. You helped the North Koreans evade sanctions. And then that's kind of it. I don't know if you have a take on that speculation. Yeah, well, the ball is in their court, right? Mm -hmm. They cracked his computer. They couldn't. Last time they announced that they had cracked his computer, couldn't find more evidence, basically. Mm -hmm. um, we're just slowly uncovering the Dutch legal system and realizing that open source code is not a thing here. Mm -hmm. It's not the same thing as in the US. It's not considered free speech. There's no habeas corpus either. So we are in a situation where the FIAD and the Dutch authorities, I'm expecting at the next hearing, have to come up with more, hmm. with more grounds. If they don't, I yeah. don't know. I don't know. Um, yeah. It doesn't help that he's Russian. Of course. I have to say. It doesn't help that he's Russian. Um, some key lawyers refused to defend him when all this happened. It doesn't help that every news article that's going to be published about him is going to mention, if it's badly written, is going to mention Russia, KGB, North Korea, Lazarus Group. You know, it's like, yeah. it's really hard to have a good headline on this. Even the normal journalists, I would say, the normal coverage that this has gotten is very, very, very cautious. And um, I'm not sure what's going to happen. I really don't know. Yeah, it's it's a, a very murky territory. Um, I have noticed the real-time chilling effects. I don't know if you've noticed the same. Uh, for example, I'm friends with the, uh, the railgun developers, and they don't seem necessarily last I noticed that concern necessarily, but a lot of people are very concerned for them because it's like, well, look what happened to tornado cash. If you do something like this, like you could be targeted too. And, um, I do know that there's some people have been like rearranged their travel schedules to stay out of certain, uh, countries just because well, stay out of the Netherlands, but um, also, also the U S it's funny because <laughs> yeah. it's, this is, uh, and this may be lost in the story. I think that in people's minds, this is the U.S. Like, I think that maybe in people close to the case and in the Netherlands, it's obviously like, oh, like it's it's more targeted. But everyone in my quarter of the world seems to like where it seems like Amsterdam was just being arrested in Amsterdam is just mm. like an incidental. It's just like a footnote on the story. But that's it. Everything else is basically presenting as this is a U.S. sanctions against tornado cash addresses 
and they got him. The nebulous they. Mm. Not sure. Yeah. But again, this is interesting because we're now confronting your corpus of, of you know news and how you're digesting the news mm-hmm. over there. Yeah. And how we're seeing it here. I can tell you, it feels very Dutch. Yeah. <laughs> it doesn't feel, um, I mean, if there is international ties in this, which again, I'm not doubting that there is, it's just right now, mm-hmm. it seems that we're very much stuck into a Dutch process. Yeah. But yes, it is a larger thing coming at cryptocurrencies, coming at on and off ramps, coming for custody wallets. I mean, it's just a general trend. What I can say is that I've dedicated ETHDAM to privacy to make to make a point out of it. And it's been very difficult to actually bring privacy people together. One, mm-hmm. because they're not united. They don't all have the same idea of what privacy is or how it should happen. That's just at a macro level. Yes. But then even if you go a bit one layer down, it's like, why would we go to the Netherlands right now? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Can you guarantee I'm not going to get arrested? No, I can't. It's pretty funny because I, and we'll, we'll run into ETH Dam right after this, but uh, I have been sort of around a privacy conscious community of some sort for basically my entire life. Like, yeah. I like at least 20, 25 years of before crypto yeah. and then in crypto. And privacy, it's funny because I'm, I'm the opposite. I care very much about privacy and I use like open source software and encrypt and all this other stuff, but I'm a very kind of happy go lucky public kind of person and privacy mm. people are very yeah, yeah. strange. <laughs> I do know like people uh, who won't like, like they're impossible to communicate to organize events because they have yeah. some sort of email address <laughs> and that's it. And you send it to them, but it was a burner email that they don't use anymore and it's always <laughs> changing. And then they, yeah you try to ask them like what's your name and they don't really tell you <laughs> there's someone yeah there it, it, there's a lot of weird things um a lot of like don't have a phone don't you know don't even a flip phone or will come you know some i've actually had in the last um year i believe or two someone at some meetup wanted to trans wanted to send me some some video footage of something he talked about and the way he did it is he brought a dvd to me and I'm like, this is 2022, right? This is this is insane. Wow. Like, so I understand the the privacy community is really hard to yes. get out, yes. or it's like to say I use privacy tools. Like, well, that's a privacy infringement. It's like, yeah, it's a strange community for sure. Which is why I personally like the I would call it the I mean, for lack of a better term, the Naomi Brockwell privacy era where people are, as she says, living a modern privacy conscious lifestyle, not like this, um, not this like weird paranoid kind of thing, but just like a living a modern, fulfilling life, but including privacy in it. Uh, but so before we go down too far of a, a privacy ranting rabbit hole, um, why don't you talk about ETH Dam? What is it? When is it? How is it? Um, yeah, all that. Okay. Um... And then we'll come back to this amazing privacy rabbit hole because yes. I do think that it's very interesting. <laughs> um, all right. So last year during Def Connect, I organized ETH Day and DeFi Day uh, in Amsterdam. And that was the first time that I organized conferences of this 
you know, level and it was all very much under the DEFCON, DEFCONNECT umbrella and I learned so much and I I just knew that I had to do it again, even though it's mm-hmm. a lot of work and I really don't wish it on anyone. But I knew that if I wasn't going to do it, probably it was not going to happen. So someone had to bring um, the ETH EVM community together for like a high level conference. So that I knew was going to happen. And then I had a chat with ETH Global and I was like, are you guys coming back? We'd love to have you again in Amsterdam. And like, mm, no, we have other things. We have other cities mm-hmm. I want to cover. We already came last year. And I know, I know how important hackathons are. Conferences are great, but hackathons are, are really Magic. magical. <laughs> they really are. They really are. So I thought, okay, no, not just a conference. We're doing a conference and a hackathon. And so ETHDAM is a conference hackathon dedicated to privacy and DeFi because I, well, those are two things that I love and I think are super important and more than anything, dedicating it to privacy in the light that, well, everything we've just discussed um, to make sure that I'm hammering privacy on everyone's head and, and, and trying not only to bring privacy builders together. So that's already like, that's a whole thing. Um, And then also try to, you know, branch out to the normal privacy world or the normal Dutch ecosystem and regulators. And that's been very challenging. So it's it's just challenging on both sides. It's challenging to get the crypto, crypto privacy peers together and then try to branch out as well and, you know, not be just this group of freaky people that are super into this and you know already you're basically preaching to the choir but also bring in new people or adjacent to us mm-hmm. at least um yeah that's eat them and uh something a bit funny that we're doing is we're creating something called the all-stars track which is kind of like a champions league for previous ETH hackathon winners, because I think there's a lot of people that attend hackathons. I mean, it's a job for certain developers to just like, you know, they go from hackathon to hackathon, they hack here, they get a bounty there, you know, and they they go back to their lives and they're fine. And the goal here was sort of to inspire people that have won at previous ETH hackathons to keep building. Uh, and to build something a bit more polished. And those guys start in like nine days from now and they have a one month track and mm. they get a chance to pitch on stage something a bit more polished. So I think that's that's what makes us a bit different as well. Yeah, yeah. so obviously because of the dam part of ETH Dam, it's in Amsterdam, dam. right? Yeah. And it's, um, it is, what, day, what are the days of it? It's a uh, Saturday, Sunday. It's on the 20th and 21st of May. And it's nice. going to be pretty. It's going to be really beautiful. Um, Amsterdam in May is is one of the perfect seasons, I would say, to come and visit. And it's lovely. <laughs> so yeah, that's also absolutely. a big attraction, I think, of all these. We're really spoiled, you know, from not having any conferences to having too many conferences, arguably. Um, there's a lot of things happening in Europe <laughs> this this month. Um, right after, not right, just before us, there's ETH Lisbon. So ETH Global had to move from Turkey, Istanbul to Lisbon, but they're also doing ETH Tokyo now. So there's ETH Tokyo and then followed by ETH Lisbon. 
and then us and then the week after there's spaghetti eth and uh, in naples and then beginning of june the east prague and then there's east barcelona i believe after that and then leading up to july with ecc so it's like there's a lot there's there's so many conferences going on and when you say ETH Dam, I think one of the appeals of each of these conferences, yes, of, of course, we're trying to bring, you know, the larger, wider crypto community together, but it's also for the locals and it's also to present sort of Amsterdam as well as a, as a moment. It has its moment. And actually we just went live. Do I have it here? Well, people can list their side events as well. There's other things that are happening before us. So there's other things happening that week to sort of showcase different perspective, different communities, um, different aspects to crypto, basically. So it's not just us. But yeah. yeah. <clears throat> Sounds like a fun, fantastic thing. Maybe I'll stop by if you're lucky. Just maybe. Just maybe. Yes. I'm yes. so it's not. Well, I mean, we can say it here now. <laughs> yes. I guess I plan, I plan to attend. So we'll see. Yes. So we'll see. No, but yeah, I do plan to attend, and this will. Yes. I haven't been to a conference of, I guess, any kind since uh, the late or outside of New Hampshire, I should say, and since the the end of 2019, and probably in the middle of 2019 was the last crypto conference, wow. and that was also the last time. Uh, those were last times I left the country too. So, yeah, let's. This will be fun. Um, oh my. Yes, and so in in I guess preparation for that. Other than, of course, I'm gonna be there to you know document mm -hmm. everything, to connect, to do everything like that. Yeah. I've kind of started to take a, a deeper interest in privacy, and obviously mm -hmm. I've always had an interest in privacy, but now I'm I'm sort of like the next the next thing I'm going into is uh, basically getting a little bit further on as Naomi likes to say, like the device privacy side of things, but also look into personal ways of using crypto privately, not just using pro-privacy or privacy supporting technology. Like for example, how to run your run a node over Tor so you don't have IP address linkage to your, your transactions and things like that. And how to, and um, I, I might be one of those crazy people that not only decides to you know, travel across the ocean, but also does that with a, a de-googled phone <laughs> and see if I can survive that way. So we'll see. That'll that'll be a fun little weekend project over many weekends up until then. I see. Are you going to document all of this? Is this all content for us to like live through you vicariously what it would be like? Uh, probably. Can we learn I mean, from you? <laughs> that's, that's Twitter. Uh, at some point, I I definitely plan on making more content about, you know, how to live on, like I already did how to live on crypto. Yeah. I wanted to live on crypto privately. Yeah. And then hopefully how to run a business on crypto. Yeah. And then, yeah, just one step, one step at a time. Yeah. And yeah, I really am looking forward to ETH Dam on this whole thing and we'll, we'll make it a good time. Any, any parting thoughts for the, the audience and the, for the, the people at home other than please come. Why don't well, you, what, what can you do to sell ETH Dam that you haven't already done? Feel free to get desperate. 
No, I'm not. I'm not that desperate. I just, actually, we're like selling out, and I don't want to promote it more. So it's like, no, don't come. No kidding. No, I, I was having a very. I went to like a random non-crypto meetup the other night. Mm -hmm. Always in my efforts to bridge worlds, and you know, I'm there surrounded by Web two. I don't know founders, pe people that are not in crypto. It's just very different for me. It's just I'm out of my comfort zone, right? But. They're like, oh, yeah, yeah, whatever, privacy. Oh, yeah, crypto, okay, yeah. They even know, they even knew DeFi, you know what I mean? So it's not mm -hmm. like they're not, they, they knew a little bit what I was what I was doing, but they were like, and at some point one of them sort of jokingly is like, oh, yeah, I love privacy. And then turns out, I mean, he's like, but also I really don't care. You know, I thought it was a really interesting moment. And I was like, okay, fair enough, fair enough. And I think for a lot of people, privacy, just like, I don't know, the right to association or freedom of religion or whatever they don't value it until until it's threatened it's one of the things that a lot of people just take for granted even in a world of mass surveillance where we you know everyone has told them you're being surveilled and everything and, and you don't have really any privacy people struggle to understand why it's such a big deal you know just like why are we making such a big deal out of fiat? I mean, come on, guys, it works. You know what I mean? Like we have a lot of people and it's the same. It's the same argument, you know, like why change it? We're fine. There's privacy is not not that big of a deal and everything like that. And I straight up, I answered something on the sides of, yeah, well, you don't care about it probably because it's it's not something that's ever you've never been threatened by it. You've never like suddenly no one has invaded your privacy. It's one thing to think you have it all the time. It's another thing to have it invaded, to have it violated, to have your your own personal life being ripped of, ripped to sheds for something like this. And I, I feel like people forget why we're in crypto as well. So that's that was my throwing a little bit of shade at sort of the normal world that doesn't realize why these things yeah. are important until their private personal life gets attacked for XYZ reason. And I never wish it on anyone, obviously, because I, I it's one thing to be like a doomsday person. It's another to wish it on to people. But I'm like, if you realize it now, then we don't need to reach a certain breaking point where your life and the people you love and care might be at risk of something. I don't want to wish that. But for some reason, humans, it's very human. Of course. We don't move. We don't move until it's really uncomfortable. And on yeah. the other side, I've heard crypto people tell me, well, when I say crypto people, it's really, it's a big word. I'm just want to say and people. I love, I love that you just started with that. Like, I already disrespect whatever you're going to say after that when you start with the well, because <laughs> you know it's going to be some nonsense. But yes, heard, go ahead. I heard something awful. I heard mm. something awful. I heard that what happened to Alex was his fault because he should have read the Dutch laws more carefully. And that came out of the mouth of someone who does crypto. Was it a, was it a Bitcoin maximalist? Yeah, a little bit. <laughs> there you go. Okay, see, I'm starting but to like, predict oh my these God. But like, oh my God, like I heard that, yeah. my ears were bleeding. I wanted to scream. I was like, how is this conversation even yeah. happening? Well, and it's really frustrating. I, I felt like even more upset because this was someone that I thought was politically aligned and would just 
you know, stand for, for justice, what I consider mm-hmm. justice. And they're like, no. <laughs> yeah, it makes perfect sense, though, when you think um, about it, because uh, what we do, at least with some things, when early adopters, I consider to be investors, where you put money into something or you put effort or you, you bend your life around things that don't make sense today, but they will make sense someday. And uh, the average person is not an investor. The average person cares what they can get today. And so privacy does not really matter today, really, kind of. In some cases, depends on who you are. But for the average person, whether Google's spying on them or not, it just means that they get more targeted ads. That's everything. But then very soon, there's a real world cost to it. And in, in in financial terms as well, it's not just, well, now you don't have freedom. It's like, well, there's also stuff, you have less money, things are more expensive and the things you want to do now it's difficult to figure out to pay some like black market person to come find it for you. And then there's all those risks and then you're in a bad situation and it's better to start here. And so when I talk about when people don't like my attitudes towards privacy or whatever, they they think they're unrealistic. uh, I kind of view them as that they're right, but they're, I I accept my role as the investor. I'm the guy Mm. who's betting on it early because, Mm. and maybe I'll be wrong. Maybe I'll waste time trying to de-Google phones and then like I'm stuck in an airport somewhere and I can't get anything to work and my maps don't work or what, but maybe I'm doing that. I'll Uh, send you my phone number on paper. You make sure to have like a little. (laughs) A paper key or your your (laughs) signal key on paper. My signal key on paper, just in case. Yes, so that's what we are. We're, we're, We're early adopters which means a lot of what we do is kind of a waste of time, but a lot of what we do is probably going to be hugely important. We'll be at the, the top of whatever we're doing once things happen. And I kind of think about that because uh, I think about my own future obsolescence of career. Like I'm the, the guy who shows you how to live on crypto. Um, where's the how to live on fiat guy? Like <laughs> it doesn't exist because everyone knows how to live on fiat, right? And so it's at some point, you know, there's the, uh, that would be a fun parody service though. But yes. um, anyway, that's a bunch of good stuff. Uh, where could people find your, uh, the site and follow you personally, et cetera, et cetera. Of course, of course. So you can go and grab your tickets for ethdam at ethdam.com. Uh, we already have a list of speakers and how you can get involved. Maybe you want to come and hack. Maybe you want to come and volunteer. Um, I believe my handle is public here. You can follow me on Twitter uh, at blockblank um, and get involved with Crypto Canal in general. Crypto Canal is what I run. It's what's powering uh, ETHDAM this year. We run also monthly meetups in Amsterdam, Rotterdam, and Zurich. Uh, we have some really fun um experiential workshops coming up for Q3, Q4 called What the Duck is Crypto. So when I'm not organizing mm-hmm. crazy conferences and stuff like that, I'm, I'm a teacher and that's what I love to do. So that's where you can follow me and come and follow our adventures and and fight for the cypherpunk ideals alongside. That'd be great. Well, absolutely. Well, thanks very much for being on and uh, hopefully you. see you in you know a few weeks or something. See you soon. All right. Bye-bye, everyone.